0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.
1: I am. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, I am joined by my buddy, my pal, Brandon Katz. You could find Analyzing Analytics over at Parrot Analytics. Brandon and I are fresh off of seeing Guardians of the Galaxy 3 together. We saw it in New York last week, packed house, given that this is... Probably, in a weird way, one of the most important Marvel films in a long time. Uh, we're going to be dedicating the entire show to it. It's James Gunn's final outing with Marvel. It has been marketed as sort of the Guardian's last dance. Like, I think on the poster, it says, like, one more time with feeling. So they're really hammering home the conclusive nature of it. I think you combine that with sort of the Ant-Man, Quantumania, is Marvel's shitty now discourse, and you arrive at this point where... Marvel has maybe their most reliable filmmaker putting up a curtain call at a time where they need it most. And I think generally gone, stepped up and nailed it. I don't, in the days since, I wonder if older Marvel films are always going to hold a bigger place in our heart because we were younger men then, and we were just different people. So I have a hard time imagining if anything is ever going to pass guardians one for me you know
0: it's it's like that stupid line i I can't remember if it's orange county or something but someone's talking about reading a book several times over the course of their life i think it's how i met your mother and like it brings up the question did the book change or did i and it's meant to be like this very douchey sentiment but there is a kernel of truth in there like the the things that hit us when we were still in these embryonic stages of not only the superhero boom but the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is that going to stay with us more con- concretely than the current ones where we've been oversatiated and we, we analyze these things for a living? Context does matter.
1: So you quoted Orange County. I'm going to quote the curious case of Ben Button where um similar quote where Brad is like, you know, the funny thing about coming home. I don't know what voice I'm doing here. He's from New Orleans in the film. <laughs> I don't think I've got that in uh, the bag. <laughs>
0: You know your strengths and weaknesses. I like that. But he
1: said so I'm I'm going to drop the voice for now but he was he's like you know the funny thing about coming home is looks the same feels the same smells the same you realize what's changed is you. So I just wonder if in the same way like you know people think oh the music of my childhood and the movies of my childhood were the best there is like a chemical scientific explanation for why we feel that way and I'm just starting to wonder if that's how is if that's the reality of my Marvel fandom these days. So I say that with I don't think that my enjoyment of three surpassed one. It came a lot closer than I expected it to, but I definitely enjoyed it more than two. So that's sort of my general point A. My general point B is gun demonstrated. And and again, outside of Kugler, you know, I don't know who in the MCU would they would give this power to, probably not even Jod Watts, wherein he was able to tell such a concentrated, closed story that the character arcs were so wholly satisfying because they were able to focus on that and that alone. So when you look at what this film was going to do for Marvel in terms of just flat out being good, how this film concluded the Guardians trilogy, I think overall this is probably the most successful MCU film since No Way Home. I understand Wakanda forever won an oscar and was generally well received but it didn't like stem the tide of marvel's in trouble here it almost added to it i liked wakanda
0: forever quite a bit but this is in terms of complete enjoyment the more whole film you know there are moments in wakanda forever and elements where i'm like this isn't really working understandably because it's it's facing just circumstances no other film has to face so i get it but this was far more complete we'll get into it. Uh, as we go but as I said to you walking out there is no point where this movie really drags for me it's either very entertaining very funny or very emotional and I was invested in, in it the whole time whereas several recent Marvel movies and projects there are moments or stretches where I'm I'm le- leaning back you know I'm, I'm not necessarily zoned in so and I just generally agree with you I think Guardians won is probably the best of the trilogy. I like this one more than two. And two is one that's really grown on me. I walked out of two, not loving it, have rewatched it several times recently and and grown a fondness and appreciation for what it does. And I think this one tops it. So- very satisfying conclusion i'm excited to get into the nitty-gritty with you i
1: I think the differences between guardians 2 and guardians 3 is guardians 2 was contained narratively but not in terms of scope right so it was a guardians adventure but they're dealing with a character ego the living planet right they're explaining star lord's origins and 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 having a villain yeah and having a villain whose, whose genuine goal is to like insert himself in every planet so i think that that is sort of what created a bit of the disconnect with the second one, which I think gets better as it goes on, which is not something that you say much about these films. And that's the gun of strength. And then my last big, and then, but then this is contained as well, but it is also a smaller, smaller scope. And we'll get to that as well. And then I just want to point out the CGI, you know, Guardians was the first cosmic Marvel film. So maybe they have a grasp on it bigger than most would you say that there were any moments where you, and I know that you're not a big CGI guy, but I think that this is now required in any conversation about Marvel, because as soon as these films come out, people take screen caps and say, look how shit this looks. So I I think generally this film is going to pass that test. I hope.
0: Yeah. There's nothing that I remember that stood out as distractingly bad. And of all the recent Marvel movies, Excuse me. Of all the recent Marvel movies, this one had the highest degree of difficulty because there are so many animals and, and CGI creatures that take up a very prominent role in the film. So for it to not have any glaring laugh out loud moments that are unintentional is quite impressive. And I just think if we zoom out, too, because we were talking about guns placement in Marvel, this is a guy before he was originally fired for Guardians of the 3 who said that the original version of Guardians 3 was going to set up the next 10 years of cosmic MCU. And wow. who a, lot of, a lot of reports said was, you know, Kevin Feige was folding into the mix as a, in a more hierarchical kind of standpoint. So clearly, you know, lo- losing gun is a, is a big thing for Marvel, even though they're still going to churn out and, and soldier on.
1: Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will dive into the nitty gritty of the film. Forget where are we came from. We have been running our whole lives. Pete, I'm done running. Lafio! All right, and we are back. We are breaking down Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in detail. In case it wasn't already clear, we were going to be discussing spoilers. So if you have not seen the film or are one of those psychos who just likes to spoil shit for yourself, to each their own. But I just don't get you people. Uh, My
0: college girlfriend would read the last page of a book and then start the book and i i just like i could not move past how how yeah, crazy, that is, crazy that is but hey well, to each their own like you yeah, said
1: yeah uh, well and maybe that's part of why it was a college girlfriend uh, <laughs> uh, all right so let's so spoiler warning spoiler warning spoiler warning if you don't want the film to be spoiled we'll see in next week i guess uh all right let's let's give a quick recap of the plot rocket is injured in a fight with Adam Warlock, who is trying to capture him on behalf of the high evolutionary who wants to reacquire Rocket to study his brain. While Rocket is able to escape the fight, his injuries require medical attention. However, due to some technology installed in him when he was created by the high evolutionary, the Guardians must track down a series of MacGuffins in order to fix rocket's technology and therefore save him along the way upon learning what the high evolutionary has planned for counter-earth they decide to take him out to is that the size of it b
0: yeah i mean when we walked out of the movie you very aptly and succinctly said the whole plot is save rocket and that's it and that's actually a great positive as i'm excited to get to
1: as we touched on at the top, this is, again, these are the Guardians of the Galaxy. There's talking trees and aliens. So it's not small in concept or theme. But in terms of purely like what is the story of this film, it is not only the smartest, smallest Guardians film that I could think of, but maybe one of the smallest Marvel films of all time. Like you think of how much people loved Spider-Man 1, right? And they're like, "Wow, it just felt like the day in the life of Spidey, right?" I think that there's a similar comp here where it's, and and that is what these films have maintained so well is that it just feels like a Guardians of the Galaxy adventure. Now, I think one of the more interesting parts about that is this is the first time that we've that Gunn has gotten his hands on these characters since I believe Guardians 2 came before Infinity War, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, he has had to reckon with all of the decisions that the franchise has made for his babies, his character, his team, his guys. And I think that the way that he approached that was just to say, and again, spoilers, spoilers, the trailers really lay it on thick in terms of Rockets going through with it and this one right so he instead of what most fans expected was that to be the third act sort of dramatic crux he front loads that and says forget about everything else going on in the mcu right now the guardian's problem is that rocket is dying and i think that that is such a smart way to anchor what ultimately needs to serve the characters that is the point of any conclusion you know outside of the end games of of the world where they're literally wrapping up billions of dollars in 10 years of storytelling. The point of telling stories is to end them. And by stripping down the plot to its bare bones, I think Gunn allowed himself the room to do that.
0: And you mentioned the marketing. And yeah, of course, Rocket is front and center. Everyone has been predicting for, for years and years, uh, or since the first trailer, that he's going to die. And It's still so like years. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and it is so interesting because essentially, Rocket is sidelined from the main primary plot for the whole movie but yet gun really uses flashbacks effectively to still give him an arc and a character and context to that like hey say, save rocket plot so it works on multiple layers and and uh, the the whole benefit that i see from having the smallest most self-contained most simplified plot is that every single character as a result even friggin cosmo the dog Gets to enjoy either a mini arc or a well earned moment to shine, and that's that's really hard to do from an efficiency standpoint, and, and to be able to dole that out across the movie, where you know off the top of my head, I would say eight or nine characters get like a, a real nice moment or a kind of emotional journey. That's just impressive storytelling right there.
1: Well, and the reason that Gunn is able to do that though is because of what he's always understood about his characters and sort of superheroes at large and why you go into these films pretty much guaranteed the third act is going to make you at the very least well up at some point. And that is that he understands that superheroes are ultimately outsiders, right? You've got, you know, forget about this team, right? You've got some of the icons, Peter Parker, nerdy teenager, Bruce Wayne, perpetually like depressed and potentially psychopathic loner. Stephen Strange is a rampant narcissist. Superman so which is-
0: one of those are is you? Which which outsider do you most closely align with? And
1: And then the last one is Superman is literally alone. I'm going to have to go... Jeez, none of these are really too flattering, huh? <laughs> uh I'm going to have to go with Rampant Narcissus because I'm the host of the best podcast on <laughs> Earth. How do you like that one? <laughs> I love that.
0: Okay, perfect. Now but that think, we got but, that out of the way. But I
1: think what he understands is that like Peter Quill's journey is not reckoning with the fact that he's a celestial almost God-powered dude. His journey is, man, Gamora's gone, my family's gone, and this sucks. And, And when you proliferate that to every character, when you understand that these films are about finding a home where you don't have one, finding a family when you don't have one, you're able to tie a neater bow than you would if he was comprehending with a more central force within the MCU whose character decisions have a butterfly-like effect that ripples throughout the entire franchise, where here he was just allowed to say, here is what I think about these characters, here is what I love about them, and here is the ending that I think that they deserve.
0: For sure. And in, in entertainment strategy guy who, who's a smart analyst, he has criticized Phase 4 of the MCU for being too focused on grief. And one of the one of the potential reasons that he posits – That the kind of commercial uh, success of MCU has become a little bit more inconsistent is that mainstream general audiences don't want to watch a ton of movies and TV shows solely based around death and grief, grief, which I can understand. And yet Gunn is able to take similar themes, yet still make it feel like a party. At times, a party that you don't ever want to leave a moment in like college where you just look around and be like, I can't believe this is my life. And the fact that he's able to do that while still threading the needle, very significant emotion, very heavy ideas. I mean, man, this guy's writing. His writing is better than his direction. And I think his direction is damn good.
1: And usually, and this is a result of both like his ultimate quality as like an emotional storyteller, but also the trust that he's earned over the last 10 years. Usually starting a film with Radiohead's creep and ending with the dog days are over would be a bit heavy handed and Mm -hmm. on the nose. Again, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. The film literally ends with the characters in like a joyous dancing celebration to the dog days are over, which as Gunn does, the music is worked into the film itself, which is such a contrast from what we went into it expecting. Yeah, that's so true. And Yeah, so as I said, the the film is posited as a rocket story. It opens with him singing along to Creep. The intention in that is- Which by the way,
0: I love. Like a a talking raccoon from space knows the words to Creep. Like that, there's just something cool and enjoyable and relatable and and awesome about that. I don't know if I can put my finger on it, but it's just, I was like, this is great.
1: And then it concludes with the dog days are over, which is generally where we find the team. And I actually- (laughs) I think the bravest choice that this film made was not reuniting Peter and Gamora because for him to have that be such like a central and like, you get it, right? Like I feel like anybody who's ever had a crush ever would be like, yeah, bro, that sucks. Not only (laughs) did she die, but she's back and she doesn't like you anymore. That's a a shitty hand. That's salt
0: in the wound if I've ever seen it.
1: Right. So to stick to that, to commit to that and have that emotional weight, Force him back home, a place that he hasn't been in, you know, 35 years. I thought that that was perfect because he is, of all the characters, the one that you the one that you need to at least proposition to be like, all right, he might pop up again. And as we will touch on it in a bit, it seems like he will. So that's how Quill ends. We have Gamora staying as a Ravager, which is how we find her when the film starts. Drax and Nebula stay on nowhere to sort of serve as this like sheriffs, I guess, and mayor type thing. Thrax also seems to find a new family with these uh, refugee children. So he gets to sort of express his fatherly uh, intuition going forward. And then Rocket and Groot lead the new Guardians and then Mantis goes home. I don't want to become a culture where the only consequences are, oh, a character died. But Marvel did quite heavily play that card. Did you feel any sense of disappointment that they all made it through? Because that because that's a strange thing to ask, right? Are you bummed that the heroes lived? <laughs> but it's I just a fair th-
0: question given the marketing, right? Yes.
1: And it's- when you're promised finality and they literally all write off into the sunset, there's a bit of disconnect there. But I would say I'm fine with it. I think that every single character landed exactly where I would want them to be. I think that they were all emotionally poignant. You know, even you look at um Raglin having his chance to sort of take the reins from um the blue-headed guy from the first two. Yandu. Yeah, and like save the town, Cosmo, the good dog bad dog thing, it just all worked into such an emotionally satisfying conclusion that even if even though the plot I felt was a bit inert like i wasn't thrilled with the narrative conclusion but sort of the character arc conclusions i thought were dead on
0: yeah i think mileage is gonna vary particularly like we said because of the marketing and i think some people who have no media literacy are like they promised this and they didn't deliver and now i'm angry i'm sure we're gonna get a contingent of folks like that but for me i found it a very satisfying and cathartic conclusion and i think to be able to pull that off without killing any characters is a really impressive testament to gun's ability to develop characters and ring out genuine emotion, and you know, uh, killing characters for dramatic effect and just for you know plot simplicity—it's really easy. It's the easiest thing to write, and any right. writer will tell you. But accomplishing the same level of emotional investment and output without that, I think, is is really upper echelon storytelling. Um, I will say, however, in terms of like as we're talking about conclusion because particularly because we've heaped so much praise on the movie so far i will say that the third act climax the actual you know pinnacle it goes on for far too long to the point that i think it does start to feel like a bit like diminishing returns and i do think that kind of seeps into h- how some may feel about the character conclusions that directly follow that up
1: but yeah that, that that's gonna like, i'm on the same page i felt like the narrative momentum towards then was it was like all right let's cut this thing's head off here and uh
0: spinning wheels for like yeah you know 12 minutes of that climax
1: and i also think it doesn't help that and this is again a marvel problem writ large the high evolutionary was well performed but again yeah. just vanilla as fuck i want a perfect world like you know what i mean like that it's is the hard most- to make a
0: good villain that's like what i've really come to believe and that's not necessarily an excuse for a flat villain that's again i agree very well performed but man it, it's it's hard Like every time he's on screen
1: yeah every time he's on screen all right we get it you know i don't need any further elaboration of how this guy wants a utopian society and how oh turns out that nobody's perfect enough for it i've never heard that one before you know what i mean like it's just uh i put this out in
0: a tweet and i think it just comes back to you know looking forward at, at james gunn's career which we'll get to a little bit and what makes the guardians franchise really special, which we'll get to in a minute too, but I I said this in a tweet, James Gunn gets people. What motivates them? What makes them different? What brings them together? What they're ashamed of and what they need, especially when they won't admit it to themselves. And I think that's really hard to do because it seems like he's able to master the interior monologue of so many different types of people, even though he himself is one type of person. And so to be able to put your, to be that empathetic and put yourself in so many different shoes, it really works for ensembles like this and it's it really bodes well for future projects
1: yeah i'm on the same page he knows his characters so well he knows who they are like where they've come from where they're going what they want you know and it really doesn't matter what type of person they are all these characters started out in wildly different places whether they are you know a descendant of a living planet Or like an obtusely literal warrior, former cold-blooded assassins, Frankenstein-esque creations, more machine than they are man. The Guardians, more than heroes or saviors, they were friends and family. And that is what this story is about. It's a story about friends and family looking out for each other, trying to help each other, having love for each other. And that is ultimately, I think what makes it so hard to say goodbye? Like, think about the last major character we had to say goodbye to. Would you say that that was Endgame, probably? Where we're saying bye to... I don't, you know, I think that, that, uh, you know, those were seismic 10-year-in-the-making conclusions, but are you telling me that, you know, Cap's ending pulled at your heartstrings more than any of these? The fact that Gunn is able to sort of compete with these seismic characters with what started out as what D listers, maybe, you know, that is that that is the house that James built. The reason that this character, this franchise is successful is because of him. And that is because he further understands that, like, we love them, not because we grew up reading Guardians of the Galaxy comics. In fact, when they first came on the scene, people were like, oh, this is Marvel's, you know, first big swing, but we care about them because of a traditional time spent, we got to know them, we began to like them, we eventually learned to love them, just like you would any friend or family member. So Gunn understanding that, both from the 2014 film at first, all the way to now, is what I think has sustained this franchise, his understanding of character and desire, and how to resolve those two things.
0: There is truly, to your point, a thematic bookend and throughline from the we're losers speech in Guardians 1 to the kind of uh, agreement here that the family is breaking up, but on but not out of any negativity. But because each one of them has given the other what they needed and liberated what was inside, they are comfortable and strong enough to go out into the world on these new, more individual adventures. And I, I think those two points connect perfectly.
1: So you have here that you have Guardians of the Galaxy ranked 11th all time on MCU films. I'm curious. Yes. Any phase 4 films above that?
0: But I'm I'm pretty sure no, but let me just double check.
1: Cuz you keep a running list and you've had it for I mean, years. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've got I've got Eternals at 10, but is that phase 4 or is that phase? Yes.
1: Two? That's phase okay. 4.
0: But you know, I I always reserve the right to change this list cuz it's a living breathing document and like, you know, you revisit something and and you, something changes. So right now I've got Eternals at 10, Guardians 3 at 11.
1: Yeah, I would I say The Way
0: Home at 7. I forgot about that.
1: I would say it's certainly I don't have a list like you do, but I'd say Guardians are my favorite franchise within the MCU so far. I think that this is certainly better than two. So I think it's at least a top 15 for me. And at this point, they're at what, like 33. So that puts it in the...
0: They're at 32 movies. Yeah.
1: 32. So yeah, I'd have to really break it down and dive in, but I kind of want to drop that, that sort of metric of quality. Like where does this rank in my all time? Because I think that that circles back to our point that then that we made at the start was our emotions and who we are affect these lists as much as anything. So I don't want to, you know, had had Wakanda Forever came out like two years after Black Panther one, it would have had such a different emotional resonance to it. So I am gonna give up my MCU hierarchical rankings and just try to tier them as like God tier, good tier average tier and like shit tier
0: listen no matter what i would have loved toy story 3 but it's in my top 10 movies all time because i saw it a month before i left for college right my first year of college and so like i was just bawling my eyes out like my childhood's dead Ah!"
1: right right. context
0: matters and that's okay
1: and like something i've thought about now it's like let's say i was 20 years old right would I be like, yo, the Batman shits on the Dark Knight? Like, would that be my take?
0: Probably. Like, (laughs) we we have to acknowledge that we are products of like the social milieu and time around us. And that's that's okay.
1: All right. So let's talk about the post-credit scenes. There are two of them. One of which introduces the new Guardians of the Galaxy, which consists of Rocket Groot, who is hilariously and absolutely fucking massive. Like he's, he's huge. I wanna so-
0: I wanna get a um biology lesson in in Groots from James Gunn. Like, <laughs> why wasn't the first Groot that big? Like, is it a choice? <laughs> like, is he doing tree steroids? I don't know.
1: <laughs> or is it like a Pokemon thing where he evolves? Is he naturally growing over time? He's comically large. Yeah, it's, they're sitting on him. You don't even realize until he like shakes himself off. It's like, oh my God, oh, that's fucking true. Groot. He looks more like, um, <laughs> he looks more like Clayface or the Thing than he does yeah. Groot at this point. Totally. All right, so Rocket, Groot, Kraglin, Cosmo, and one of the new kids that the Guardians rescued who appears to have Miss Marvel-esque powers. Oh, and adam warlock yes i don't really have any thoughts cool
0: (laughs) i listen i may not have ever read a guardians of the galaxy comic but like all super superhero teams i know that there are different rosters and iterations and so there was something cool about seeing that element carried over to the big screen i don't know how consequential it is it's not necessarily hilarious or 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 a big moment, though it shows Rocket really comfortable in his leadership position. But it was just cool to be like, oh, like they're changing it out just like the comics. And I, I, there was just a baseline enjoyment in that aspect.
1: I don't think it's any like guarantee of there will be a Guardians 4 or a show. What I do find interesting about it is I think one of the general consensus from critics so far is that Will Poulter could have used more screen time and he's sort of an up and coming actor. That is a relatively well known Marvel character. So just by those, that logic alone, you'd think he at least would pop up somewhere again. Cause I think it's, it's a distinct choice to say they don't have their classic, the guardians of the galaxy will return. They do have the legendary star Lord will return. So I think that I would think it was just a nice little tack on note at the end, but Will Poulter's casting and role in all this kind of confuses me. Because if you're him, right? Would you really take like, if this is your shot at a Marvel role and you sign up for like 15 ish screen time minutes, That feels weird to me.
0: I will give Will Poulter credit though, because he got Jack for this movie, but without looking like hilariously not human, like so right. many stars do like he looks normal Jack. And I appreciate yep. that.
1: Yep. Just looks like good old brown rice, chicken, water diet, my man. Yeah,
0: seriously. Because because some people, I'm like, that's not a human anymore. And like <laughs> Will Poulter looks like he could still like go to the supermarket and do his own grocery shopping.
1: <laughs> All right. So as for the legendary Star-Lord, Will return post credit scene, it sort of just sees him sitting at his kitchen table with his grandpa eating cereal and they're going back and forth having banter. They don't really give any sort of significant indication of how, when, or why we will see him return. What did you make from that scene?
0: Well, I've made a list here of potential return projects that we mm. know of. So projects that we that have been publicly announced that he might be able to, to pop in. I want to see, like, does any stand out as potential or is it fully like we don't know where it's going to be? So the first one, Secret Invasion, which I think is doubtful, but like because it deals with cosmic stuff.
1: Possibly. And him being like a quote unquote pro in that stuff. Like you would think he would have run into scrolls along his trail before. I think that that's too close. Yeah. Because that is guaranteed to come out, I think, in August. So I love the idea and concept, but I, I don't think... Loki
0: season that. two, you know, a variant of, of Chris Pratt in in one throwaway scene. I could see that.
1: Like it. Okay. The
0: Marvels, again, we're dealing with cosmic. I don't know. There's already a lot going on and there's essentially three leads. So I feel like throwing Star-Lord in there, even if it's like a cameo, it, that's, that's just a lot. It's a hat the, on a hat.
1: But the post scene did include that kid who appears to have Miss Marvel esque powers. So
0: true. Yeah, you're right. It could be a connection. That's that's a good point. Uh, Fantastic Four, doubtful, but I because we don't know really anything. I was like, fuck it, I'm throwing it on there.
1: Yep. I am curious to see whether or not this will truly be a because uh, there's there's rumors that it might be Like a period piece, right? Like a 1960s type thing.
0: I remember those rumors from a few years ago. I haven't really seen it recently.
1: While we're on it, you want to talk about the uh Margot Robbie Adam Driver rumors? Have you seen I mean, these? I,
0: I, yeah, I mean, listen, if, if you're they, Robbie, why
1: on earth would you do that? You're already, I think,
0: more so if if you're Driver, honestly, I because I feel like his personal tastes don't really align. And after his inconsistent Star Wars experience, I was very surprised to hear that he might be gearing up for another long franchise but like listen i, I those are two, two really talented actors i would love if that was the case
1: if i was a betting man i think driver is probably going to wind up being it but i'm putting a buck on jody comer i feel like that one's just staring right. us in the face it's She's unbelievable ready. how obvious it is
0: and the rumor about david diggs is the thing obviously i love that for that reasons. would
1: be good too yeah yeah <laughs> the <laughs> Look, I understand that people want to get mad about nothing at all, but seriously thinking Marvel, for as quote-unquote woke as Disney might be, to think that they might hire Mila Kunis to play a character named The Thing, if you believe that in the nicest way possible, get your knowledge up. <laughs> get your knowledge up, because there's, there's on no planet Earth would that happen.
0: It, it's not happening. I, I would be
1: shocked. All and right, so let's, movie- yeah.
0: The last movies on this list, Avengers, King Dynasty, and Avengers Secret Wars. I I would say a lock.
1: Yeah, Yeah. a lock. But is that what they mean by it? Like, is that what they mean? Like, he'll be back in the...
0: I would assume, I would really be surprised if not. But but also then, it's like, do you think any of those are the most likely? Or is it like a to be determined? We're not going to see him until they announce something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, since Pratt has become the king of animation, he doesn't need these checks anymore. He's going to be cranking out Mario films for the next 15 years.
0: Seriously, man. And Lego movie was so good.
1: And he's got uh Garfield coming too. Oh,
0: gee, I forgot about it. He's voicing Garfield. <laughs> What's this? Yeah, I mean, this guy's great up. agent,
1: super smart agent. Like, really, yeah, dude, really killing it. Take these paychecks. Uh, all right. Let us rank the Marvel trilogies. For, by my count, not counting the Avengers films, there are one, two, three, four, five, six. We have Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man, Captain America. Thor, which is four films, uh, Ant Man and Spider Man. I'm gonna go Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America, Spider Man, Iron Man, Thor, Ant Man.
0: That's exactly mine. With like the caveat that Guardians is one A and Cap is one B, because oh, okay. yeah. for for Guardians, if if we're just comparing the three Guardians movies, if we're ranking the three Guardians movies and the three Cap movies, Guardians of the galaxy one is the top overall for me, but then the cap franchise has two of the next three in winter soldier and civil war. So like, it's, it's so hard for me to be like, which one's definitive one and which one's two. So I'm just going one a and one B and essentially the same exact thing as yours.
1: All right. And then the final thing I want to touch on here is what James Gunn has next. He is famously now the co-CEO of DC studios. He's going to be directing Superman legacy. Superman is your character. I would love to hear what you are feeling about this project post guardians three.
0: It's it's tough to make sense of it all because Gunn's public comments on Superman legacy have said, you know, he's not going to make it like an outsider comedy. He's looking for a Superman with humanity and someone you would want to hug. He wants to add to the positive Superman, Superman elements that have come before on the big screen. And then the plot is Superman basically reconciling his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. And so... My my question, honestly, is what what does this all add up to in terms of character and story in your mind? Because I I like what I'm hearing on an individual, like, bit-by-bit basis, but I'm struggling to see the full picture, but I also think that's really understandable because we have virtually nothing to go on at this stage. All I know at the end of the day is the man gets character, the man gets emotion, and he's got a unique and singular voice as a writer. So, like, those three elements, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty confident.
1: His strengths perfectly complement superman's cinematic weaknesses i.e people have always said superman films are so boring how do you relate to him he's like a god he can't get hurt if there's anybody who could make you feel for a godlike alien distant character it's gone i also think he's gonna zag i think how many superman films have we seen especially ones that are starting franchises where the threat is from his home world i would love for a change of pace there whether he dives right into Lex, I think that might be a, taking a big, big swing. Maybe I understand Brainiac is a Krypton-related villain. Maybe like how, he goes, maybe? I was just to say that, but he's also a Krypton. Yeah. See, that's the problem, right? How do you work Kryptonite into every single plot?
0: But here's the thing, like, and I've said this a million times too, it's just so easy to to make Superman not, like, invulnerable. Just, he's in a fight, he gets hit, he's bleeding a little bit, and he's just like, oh, wow, that's crazy, I'm gonna keep going. Like, he's hurt. We've we've now seen he can be hurt, and it took two seconds. Like, it doesn't have to be spelled out, and he doesn't have to be like, nothing can hurt me except this. And frankly, we've essentially seen that with, you know, Henry Cavill's to an extent. Like, he got his ass kicked by by other Kryptonians. Like, you can just make it where, where the person is not completely invulnerable and has a little bit of fear in these yeah. situations. It's so easy.
1: You know, I, to that extent, I am curious what he'll do with Pa Kent. I'm curious what he'll do with Ma Kent and how much he leverages those relationships. You know, in- I,
0: I, I'm sorry. i just I'm looking up Superman villains right now. And we, we know because there's been chatter about this. What if this is the introduction also to Lobo? And, like, that's a good way to give him a physical threat and be like, all right, Jason Momoa, let's do this.
1: Yeah. And it's just some guy from space. Yeah. It's just yeah. like a very, and that would be an actually very Guardians of the Galaxy esque move. Yeah. Like, let's fucking bring in this gonzo ass villain.
0: Like, he's not going to use Doomsday. Lex, like you said, is probably too far. Bizarro, no. Nope. Zod is overdone. You know, but yeah, Bizarro, Bizarro and Brainiac and Metallo are all like those maybes. Like, Dark Sides obviously come in later.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I you know, I just think generally I was already excited for his work on it. I think that Guardians of the Guardians 3 made me more so. I actually I would have to go back and revisit Suicide Squad, but it might be my favorite film of his since the first one. So, yeah.
0: I feel like story. I feel
1: like if you are DC right now, you're like oh thank god we did it
0: <laughs> well let, let's see though because guardians 3 is tracking for a domestic opener low lower than guardians 2 but that's yeah, always- but that doesn't
1: yeah. reflect on gun at all no,
0: but but they they listen you want money that's the it, whether it's fair or not and it's really not but yeah but still i think i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna work
1: all right b any final thoughts
0: Uh, go see this movie in theaters. I think seeing it with a really big crowd like you and I did in IMAX enhanced the experience. I think everyone was kind of laughing and and crying at the same moments. And that was a nice communal experience.
1: Yeah. Overall, I think it's definitely a writing of the ship for Marvel. I don't think that they've fixed themselves. I don't think that they've cured themselves, but in terms of like remembering what you felt like when you watched these films five, six years ago, I think it captures that. And when it comes to these movies i'm not really sure what more else you want than that um make sure to follow brandon at great underscore catsby and all of his work at power analytics make sure to follow myself at eric italiano and at post pod leave us a five-star review on spotify and a written review on apple Podcasts if you haven't already oh you want to hear how much people fucking hated ant-man 3 i tried to give away a code for the film and not a single person replied (laughs)
0: wow i mean <laughs> i i would have even taken that
1: that's so it's just it's bad i like so,
0: Three more than most people but like i still recognize it's major glaring flaws
1: yeah leave us a written review on apple Podcasts if you haven't we'll be back next week cate will have seen the film by then so he will share his feelings uh we'll talk some succession next week for sure we'll talk some barry are you caught up on barry brandon
0: stupid question
1: it's it it dude Bill Hader
0: phil Hader, wow. man what a man i can't wait to see his feature directorial debut yeah
1: yeah all right so stay tuned for that and we will catch y'all next week peace my name is maximus decimus meridius